Broadcasting from the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Bear and his family just did a 20, I say just did, it was actually like over the summertime. I just now got around to airing this. It's been a hectic year. What do you want me to say? I apologize for sitting on it that long. But a 21-day cruise on Carnival Pride over the summer. The Baltics and Norway. How you doing, my friend? Hey, Doug. I'm doing great. Give me some pre-cruise thoughts because you're uh, you're out in Texas and you had to make your way over to the UK area. And you were there for a long time, like 30 days with Post and Pre and the cruise itself. Uh, what made you want to do a trip this big? Yeah, so just to kind of take a step back, we're a cruising family of four. We've done a fair number of Caribbean cruises, close to 20 sailings, Western, Eastern, Southern. But while we love it there, we wanted to do a European cruise first. Actually, we booked the uh, Iceland and British Isles first, the 12 days. And then just looking at, just figuring that since we'll be flying all the way from the States, why not just add the Norway cruise before it, since we've never been there, mm-hmm. make it a back-to-back. And um, honestly, really glad that we did. You said you were a cruising family. How old are your kids? I have a seven-year-old and a fourteen-year-old. Gotcha. And uh, we've 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 always cruised together. Gotcha. Very cool. So you make your way from Texas over across the ditch to the UK. Any pre-cruise time? Yes. So we flew into London Heathrow about a week before the cruise. We had a private shuttle pick us up from the airport, take us to our hotel in central London. We stayed there for about five nights. I pre-purchased the uh, London Pass and uh, five-day London Pass. We were able to really get to see and do a lot. The hotel itself was really close to the London Eye. Uh, We got to see like Westminster Abbey, View at the Shard, St. Paul's Cathedral, Tower Bridge, Tower of London, London Zoo. I can go on and on. it, It was really great and it helped us save a lot of money doing the London Pass. One of my most memorable things in London actually was just getting away from all the crowds. We went to a place called Little Venice, and we took a boat ride up the Regent's Canal to Camden Lost Market. Very like quaint and picturesque, beautiful houses over there. You got to pass by a lot of like nice parks and Victorian homes. I daydreamed a bit just living there until I saw the price tag, and I was like, wow, <laughs> it's crazy. And then um, the day before our embarkation, we uh, took a private shuttle from our London hotel over to Dover. We stayed there for one night. After we checked into the hotel, we just walked to the White Cliffs of Dover, and uh, we walked basically all the way east. They had like this National Trust lighthouse. Uh, the lighthouse itself was closed, but just the views of like the walk itself, it's a beautiful walk, gorgeous views everywhere. So I highly recommend that for anyone that has at least two or three hours or so in Dover before or after their cruise. With that London Pass, did do you get any kind of like front-of-the-line perks with that, or is it just basically covering a lot of attractions for a set price? It's come on both. You definitely covers a whole bunch of attractions for a set price, but also you're avoiding uh, some attractions. Some some attractions did have a long have a line to be able to purchase tickets, so we were able to bypass those lines. Um, having the having London Pass. Gotcha. Some other admissions, we did have to wait in line just to be able to enter. Like if you already had your tickets, regardless if you had the London Pass or bought the ticket right then and there, um, you'd have to wait in line just to get in, just depending on you know how 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 busy it was. Gotcha. So you make your way to Dover, where you are boarding Carnival Pride at the terminal. There, how was the embarkation process? It was very smooth. Once we got to the terminal, we had a 10 a.m. check-in time. I arranged a taxi to get us from our hotel to the terminal around maybe 9.30, 9.45. 
And uh, it was really only a mile away, but I figured just to save us dragging all that luggage, um, it was only like seven pounds for the four of us with all our luggage. The taxi dropped us off right at the gate, but the Dover Port Security actually had the gate closed before 10 a.m. They were not letting any taxis or drop-offs happen before then. So we just had to walk with our luggage from the gate area to the terminal. So it's about a 10-minute walk. Um, so it wasn't too bad. Uh, once we got to the terminal, it was really a breeze through security check-in. There was no wait at all. We had our Verify app all completed, ready to go. We just showed that to the check-in guys at the terminal, and um, they just checked that. We had that along with our passports, of course. We had our negative COVID tests and vaccination cards, but because all that was on the Verify app, we really didn't need to show that. And um, we basically, we were sitting in the waiting area, waiting for them to clear us to board, which I think happened somewhere between like 10, 30, and 11. And um, yeah, that's it. The worst part of it was really just that 10-minute walk from the port gate area to the terminal. So it was overall, it was very smooth. What would you say uh, the time was from curb to ship? 10 minutes or less. Oh, wow. It was okay. very, very quick. I yeah. mean, when we got there at the at the line, like there was no line, like going through security and then getting somebody to for the check-in and ver- looking at our Verify app and everything, it was really quick, just a few minutes. Very good. So you make your way on board Carnival Pride. What were your first impressions? So as soon as you board the ship, you're immediately hit with this, uh, like this Renaissance old world feeling, the theme decor, a bunch of like replicas of like Mediterranean paintings, statues. But you also see some like contemporary glassworks in the corners of the stairwells, which is kind of like a bit unusual with the rest of the ship's decor. Some areas of the ship looked updated, like Acme Bar, for example, but other areas were not, didn't look updated like the buffet area. We have to keep in mind, of course, it is a 20-year-old ship, so you do see some wear and tear, but honestly, it didn't really bother us since we had realistic expectations for uh, what to expect. But as far as the layout goes, I really enjoyed it. The ship is fairly small, at least compared to a lot of the newer, sh- the newer ships. It's, it's easy to navigate. I liked how they had the Butterflies Lounge, which is where they host most of the or all of the Punchline Comedy Club. It's on Deck One Forward. It's right underneath the Taj Mahal Main Lounge, which is on... Uh, which they do all the main shows. That's done in deck two, three, and four forward. So really, you get to finish, for example, a a show in the Taj Mahal if you're going there, and then you just walk down the stairs to Butterflies instead of having to walk all the way across the ship from one end to the other. Yeah, that that ship has a really, really nice layout. On this 21-day cruise in total that you were on, what kind of stateroom did you have, and what was your thoughts of it? We had a standard balcony on deck seven mid starboard side. It was pretty standard compared to other balconies we had on other ships. The cabin itself had enough like desktop space. There was a mini fridge. It was empty. There was a, one of those old-style safes where you had to swipe a card mm-hmm. to lock-unlock. There was enough drawers, shelves, hangers, stuff like that to hang our clothes or to, to put all our clothes in. As far as like plugs and USBs and stuff, there was no like USBs that we saw at least there, uh, or anything by the beds. There was a 110 and 220-volt right in the middle of the cabin, like right underneath the mirror. And uh, there was also an outlet, I believe, in the bathroom up high near the ceiling. So we just used that for, like, our electric toothbrushes. Bathroom was pretty standard. Had a shower, one of those um, curtain showers. The um, balcony itself, there was two chairs. You can, like, lift the back of the the support and basically make it, like, a lounge chair. Um, There's a small table in the balcony as well. Pretty standard. Yeah. All right. So with the four of y'all, you said the four of you in one stateroom, correct? Yes. Okay. So like so, bunk beds or like the pullout couch? 
Yeah, so we our sleeping arrangement was we had the two twin beds together, um, basically converted to a king, mm-hmm. and then we had a, a single sofa bed and then a one upper Pullman. Okay, very good. Let's talk about dining on this 21-night cruise, and I'm sure you got really familiar with the Lido Deck Buffet, so we'll yes. start up there. How was that for y'all? So it was fine. Um, the Lido Deck Buffet was self-service, of course, um, except for like the omelet station, which I always get one in the morning. The breakfast food on Lido itself was fine, you know, plenty of options, but honestly, after a while, it gets pretty repetitive since it's it's pretty much the same every day. Mm-hmm. Lunchtime, they had some 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 variety. It does change. Um, they also have chopsticks, which is a some like an Asian Asian food that's also self service. Of course, there's always there's on Lido deck. There's always guys. There's Luguanas. There's the deli. There's pizza. One note though on the buffet area is that it would get pretty packed. And sometimes even like hard to find a seat, especially during peak times, like like peak breakfast hours and peak lunch time. So I mean that's understandable because there isn't you know a whole lot of dining options. But what was a little bit upsetting is occasionally you'd see some people, not everyone of course, but some people would be like chit chatting or playing cards or whatever during peak times, and other people were trying to find a table to sit and eat. So those people ended up sometimes like eating either like in the pool area or even in their cabins because they couldn't find a seat. That's called having zero self-awareness. Yes. <laughs> Can't stand yeah. people that do that in, in peak dining times. You just set up shop to play dominoes or something, but very good. Well, yep. sounds like you had a, a crowded time in the buffet area. How about outside of there? You have the burger joint and uh, blue iguana cantina and pizza too back there. Yeah, so we ate. I mean, we pretty much tried tried them all. Pretty standard, just like the other, other, other. Um, the same dining you see in other ships. I mean, we have guys in Blue Guan and Delhi and Pizza and other and other mm-hmm. ships as well. The pizza was not open twenty four seven. I'm trying to remember the exact hours. I think it closed at like at three, uh, three in the morning and opened up again around eight somewhere around there. So there was like a five or six hour period where um, there was no pizza served during that time, which um, to us it was fine. Yeah. Gotcha. And now as far as the main dining goes, what time dining did you have and how was your experience in there throughout the three weeks? Yeah. So we had um, early assigned dining, six o'clock. We ate there most nights. We ate there 18 out of the 21 nights um, because uh, one night in Reykjavik, Iceland, we were there until 10 or 11 at night. So we ate outside Uh, one night in the steakhouse, one night in chef's table. So I'll, I'll go over those in a sec. As far as the main dining room, the food, the service was good. Um, we had a table for four. We were always immediately greeted like as soon as we got there. Um, got to know our waiters very well, of course. They immediately came over with like the pouring water, the bread baskets. You know, we'd get there always right at six, and we were consistently done every day, pretty much between like seven, seven fifteen. So it was like an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes. Even though I would um, have like three or four or sometimes even five appetizers that I order every night. <laughs> and then on, uh, just to talk about the main dining room also, as far as sea days goes, we ate in the, in the dining room also for sea day brunch. That was also good. The process there is you basically just check in on the hub app. Uh, when you're ready, they assign a table for you and you just get a notification on the app once, it's, once, once your table's ready. I do remember our hostess very well, the dining room hostess who greets us at the entrance because one of the first sea days that we had, we did the sea day brunch, table got assigned, we went to the dining room. It was, I saw it wasn't really busy. So I asked the hostess, hey, do you mind if we can change our table to a window table? And she said, yeah, no problem at all. 
So she did that. And then pretty much every sea day, which we didn't have that many, but every sea day after that, when we, whenever we ate at the sea day, we had to see their bunch of the dining room. I checked into the hub, hub app. And then once we got there to the, uh, to the dining room, the hostess would, she, she'd be there and say, Hey, by the way, I got you a window table, nice. which something I didn't expect because all she sees is obviously a name to the hub app and then you can't really request a, a specific table. So that was, right. that was really nice. This may be a stupid question, but when you're sailing a carnival ship in Europe, is it in Euro or the local currency, um, like the pound, I guess, in the UK, or is it strictly US dollars? US dollars. Okay. All right, very good. And you did the steakhouse at the chef's table. How was that? Yeah. Steakhouse is called David's Steakhouse. Uh, that's on deck 10. We did that on the second night of our second leg. Service was top notch. We got a complimentary bottle of wine. Food was super delicious. Everything. You get bread, appetizer, main, side, and desserts. I had lobster bisque for the appetizer, cowboy steak for the main, baked potato, the chocolate sphere. It did take a little bit longer than regular main dining room, but that's expected, of course. It, for us, it took, it took us about two hours, which is totally, totally fine. Then another night, we did the chef's table, and my goodness, that was a phenomenal experience. Yeah. I am so happy and glad that we did that. Everything, the service, the food, the entertainment. So they first started us off in a, um, like in one area, they served us some like, like some fancy tea, some couple of treats just to kind of get us started, get to talk with one another and such. And then they moved us to another area and they had assigned seats for us with their, like with their name and everything. And um, like I said, everything was amazing. The food was, um, I'm looking at the menu here. It was like the, the chef's taste, duck surf and turf, sea bass, lamb, New York strip, and a couple of like really, really delicious desserts. It is obviously an extra charge, of course, and uh, but it, to us, it was well worth it. How long was that chef's table experience? Um, I'm trying to remember. That's a good question. A um, at least two hours. Yeah. I want to say somewhere between two to three hours, but we were so like indulged with everything, like the service, even our table mates, we were chatting with them and we had a good time and we kind of felt like maybe me and my wife at first would be a little awkward, but just sitting next to the other, other folks, we made friends with them really quickly and we were all joking and laughing and having a good time. And we felt like, right, you know, pretty much at ease. Let's talk about the entertainment on this 21 night cruise. I'm sure some of it may have repeated from one cruise to another, but what were your thoughts of it overall? Yeah, so I'll kind of break it up by depending on the time of day. So during the day, there was a lot of trivia going on. That's mainly done by the uh, Deck 2 Forward, right by the Piazza, Piazza Cafe. There's always bingo pretty much every day, almost every day. In the evenings, they always had like the stage production shows that's done twice a day, 7.30 and 9.30. They're basically a repeat of each other. We are not like super big fans of any of the stage shows, honestly, so we... But we did enjoy, they had something called Viva Variety. Um, basically, instead of having like a whole production cast, they would have the Viva Variety basically is like a one-man or one-woman show. There were like singers or funny entertainers. You may recognize one or two of these names. We had Marcus Anthony. So he flew in just for our cruise, which was which was really nice. We also had uh, Kate Linderman. She's, she has a beautiful voice. She sang like classical opera um, really, really well. Jonathan... Pinelli, very funny man. Uh, he has a good voice. So we enjoyed that type of uh, entertainment. There was also the Love and Marriage show, of course, that was done once per sailing. Because we've done so many ships before, honestly, with the same questions that we've heard, you know, time and time again, but it was still funny. 
uh, entertaining, nevertheless, just hearing the the uh, the people on stage and their 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 responses. There was also Deal or No Deal uh, that was done once per sailing. That was also fun. The kids kids enjoyed that. Besides all that, I am a very very much a comedy club fan, and I I'm always there pretty much every night or every night that they do have comedy. One nice thing with this compared to other ships that I've been on, at least the last one, is uh, even if their comedy was back-to-back comedy, you didn't have to clear the lounge. You can just sit there and you didn't really have to go outside like, and line up or anything like that. You just you know, just kept where you are, and then the next show starts 10, 15 minutes later. Were you able to find out how many people were sailing on this cruise? Yes. Um, about 2,000 guests. Ship capacity, max capacity is 21, 24. So we're looking at about... 95, 94, 95% full. There was a lot of Planet of Diamonds, of course, especially on the Iceland sailing. There was actually a lot. They said it was 900 of us. So uh, almost half the ship was, was uh, Platinum and Diamond, which made the uh, tendering process a little bit uh, hectic. How were sea days with 2,000 people on board, which really isn't a lot when you think about it? It wasn't bad at all. So we had six sea days total from our 21 days. Really, it didn't really feel crowded, uh, except like the peak times, like I mentioned in the Lido, Lido uh, for the seating area. And when I when I mentioned the Lido buffet area, it's not so much like having long lines of the, and like trying to get your food. It's just more so just the seating area. But beyond that, you know, we were still able to always find a seat in, in the Taj Mahal main lounge and the Butterflies Comedy Club, like I mentioned, even, you know, even 10 minutes before, not a problem. Even though it was pretty full, it really didn't feel, I think it's just the, the, the way the ship was laid out uh, or is laid out, it's, it really didn't feel congested. Let's talk about your ports of call on this back-to-back cruise. Your first leg was Norway, so we'll hit that first. So what we'll do here is give us the port of call, a highlight, then we'll move to the next one. So first one was Bergen in Norway. So we did this completely on our own. We basically just pre-purchased tickets to the Floybanen Funicular, which is like this tram that goes up to the top of the mountain. Mount Floyen. Uh, you got some really excellent views from up there. Uh, we did some canoeing up there even in their lake and uh, some walking trails and then came back down. We just went to the uh, fish market, had lunch there, just walked around back to the ship. The next day was Alessand in Norway. We did a long guided tour. It's about a seven and a half hour tour. It took us to, we booked that directly with the uh, tour operator. Uh, we went to some really amazing sites outside the city. Um, like we they drove we drove to like some villages to a place called Trollstegen, these hairpin turns, a lot of waterfalls, fjords, uh, lots of stops on the way. Just the the whole just the whole area is just breathtaking. It was almost unreal. The next day was Mold in Norway. For this day, we just uh, took a taxi up to the to the top of the mountains called Mount Barden. Supposedly, it would have like these panoramic views, 360 degrees of views everywhere, mountain of like these mountains everywhere. But unfortunately, it was just a cloudy and foggy day, a uh, morning for us that we didn't really get a, the best view from up there. And um, but we decided to just hike it back down instead of taking a taxi back. And uh, while we were hiking back down, it started to clear up. So we did get some glimpses of the ship and of the, the mountains and everything um, as we were coming back down. The next day was Olden in Norway. Um, it's a beautiful sailing through the fjords to get here. So Olden is a, just to put things in perspective, it's like this small village of about 500 residents, just like nestled in the mountains. And um, at first we got off the ship, walked around for a bit, took in the beautiful scenery. And then we went on a bus tour, took us to 
the Bricksdale Glacier. We hiked up this mountain, basically through the glacier. We had a glacier there with the lake, and um, we were just hanging out there for a while, and we heard this big thunder, and, and I think it was like the glacier calving. So that was really cool to, to hear. Once we got back to the ship, just something not necessarily like like while we're out in, in Norway in the port area, but when we were back on the ship, something I remember very clearly, we were out in the balcony just watching the sail away. And um, since we were docked at the pier side and uh, we had like the best send off by the local people there, they had like loud music playing, these songs like Time to Say Goodbye by Andrea Bocelli. People were like coming out of their homes, waving their Norway flags. Cars were pulling, like pulling over, getting out of their cars. They're waving at us. It was just really beautiful and emotional just seeing that. The next day was Skjolden in Norway. This was another breathtaking small village, uh, even smaller. This one had about 200 people. So, I mean, you have to imagine the ship comes in 2,000 people. It's about 10 times bigger than the actual village population. And um, to get here, again, we had to sail through the fjords, uh, which was really beautiful. We hiked up to this panoramic viewpoint. Uh, We walked around town. We saw some llamas. We booked a rib adventure speedboat that sailed through the fjords. We got so many, like, photo stops from our boat. The guide was really nice. He explained all the different areas, where he lived. It was really, really nice. I'm glad that we added that. And uh, the kids, of course, enjoyed that a lot as well. Uh, Then the last day of the Norway cruise was Stavanger. We took a boat ride with um, a company called Rodney Fjord to uh, Lucy Fjord. had some, like, these views of steep mountain cliffs, waterfalls, pulpit rock. Poplar Rock is where they filmed the scene of the cliff scene of Mission Impossible Fallout with Tom Cruise. And then back to Dover. We had a sea day, got back to Dover, which we'll go over a little bit later. And then um, two sea days later after that, we went to Reykjavik in Iceland. But because we had a storm that we had passed through, we got to Reykjavik about a couple hours late. But thankfully, it wasn't a big deal because we were the back on board time wasn't until 1030 at night. So... I had booked a rental car. The rental car company came, picked us up, took us to the rental car office, picked up our rental car from there. And then we basically had a great day just sightseeing all around the Golden Circle. So we stopped at like Carrot Crater, Faxi Waterfall. We had lunch there, Gulf Boss, Stroker, Thinkover National Park. That's the national park where the tectonic divide happens. And uh, there's a specific area where you basically like we were standing, the four of us, and we took a picture where like we had like one foot standing in North America, North American continental plate on the other foot in Europe. The next day, we went to a place called Grundafjordur in Iceland. So even to me, at least, it was even more beautiful than the Global Circle. We had a private tour booked here for the four of us uh, with a wonderful guide. She took us to this, um, this thing is called Snifelnesnes Peninsula. Got a lot of stops there. Um, she she was just very knowledgeable. She treated us like like family. She told us so many stories of like the Iceland legends and about her family. She even took us to like some places where she took her own grandkids. So that was a really really nice day. The next day we went to a uh, north part of Iceland called Akureyri. To get there we had to basically cross into the Arctic Circle to get there. My wife and I we I remember that night getting there when we crossed Arctic Circle, we just um, we were just out by like by the balcony all past midnight and it's obviously like daylight because of the midnight sun. Very cool experience. Once we got to Akariri, we did a three hour whale watching tour. 
I booked independently for that, and uh, uh, it was good. We saw we saw a lot of whales, uh, but none of them were breached. None of them breached, but uh, it was it was still great. Once we got back to the town, we saw a couple of churches. Went to the botanical gardens. We had ice cream at one of the popular ice cream shops as well. Then that night, we had to cross back into the Arctic Circle again to go on the east side to our last Iceland port, Seydis Fjordor. That's the name of it. So it's a small town, about 700 people. And we took a bus tour to see the Puffins, which is in a different coastal town in East Iceland. That town is called Borgafjordor. And these puffins were something that we wanted to see uh, back from the legend transatlantic sailing in, uh, in the Scotland stop. We were, we were planning on seeing them there. But we were just amazed because once we got there, the, we were thinking like, we, you know, are we going to need our binoculars for, to see these puffins? But no, they were so close to us and there were so many. I mean, scattered everywhere. Just, it was just wonderful seeing them. And uh, not only that, but even like the views just to get to that place over and over around the mountains. Uh, was just amazing. Once we got back to the to the port area, we just did some sightseeing on our own. Just went checked out the there's a like a popular Rainbow Street with uh, a blue church in the in the back in the background. You kind of see that a lot of on a lot of like Iceland um, pictures or postcards. Then we left. I said goodbye to Iceland, and next day was a sea day. Then we went to Stornoway in Scotland. So we did a private tour this day again, and it was with a um, local archaeologist guide. He had like this um, land rover. He had his Land Rover, so he took us to a lot of sites in the Isle of Lewis. Uh, we got to see some of the standing stone circles, even like dated older than the Stonehenge, Black House Beach, Butt of Lewis, and some other places that he took us off-roading. It was beautiful. And then the next day was Belfast in Northern Ireland. Did another private tour here. This time we went to Giant's Causeway and a place called Bellantoy Harbor and Carrick Red Rope Bridge, which is this uh, like suspension bridge, and also the Dunless Castle. Uh, that rope bridge was our highlight for that day. That's also something that we were planning on doing. We wanted to do before. The views were really, really amazing from there. And we were somewhat lucky that we were able to actually go there and get on the rope bridge because a lot of the buses were not able to get there because there was like this two meter like gate that you had to get through to the parking area before you were able to hike to the to the rope bridge area. And then our last day, uh, last port day was Hollyhead in Wales. Private tour there for, again, just my family, the guides. He took us outside Hollyhead to a place I can't even I can't even begin to pronounce it. It's like it's the second longest name in the world for the like, second longest town name in the world. So he was like explaining that and telling us how to how to pronounce it and how they teach the school kids. That's one of the first things that they learn when they go to go to school in Welsh schools. And then he took us to Carnarvon Castle. He guided us through the whole castle and uh, Snowdonia National Park, which was gorgeous. Yeah, he was very professional, not knowledgeable. Even like he was with us everywhere, even like inside the castle and everything, just showing us everywhere. I was glad that we booked it with him because um, he was telling us that we had booked like a year before because I had a lot. Of, I've done a lot of planning and research, as you can imagine, you can tell. And um, he told us that like after we booked with him, that there was like 40 other inquiries from Carnival Pride 
people trying to, you know, seek for us, seek for his private tours or like looking for other tours. And then after that, it was a sea day and then we were uh, back to Dover. I want to ask you about what you did in Dover, but I'm also curious about when you're an in-transit passenger, so you were right between two cruises, how does that process work? Uh, can you stay on the ship? Do you have to ding off, then come back on? The night before, they um, they gave us a letter for all the back-to-back guests, basically telling us instructions if you wanted to leave the ship to go on tour, we're welcome to do so. And um, regardless, they issued this uh, something called a transit express card. And... Um, we we use these cards to be able to when we're coming back to the terminal, cruise terminal. We don't have to wait in line to like you know with everybody else for for the folks that are actually getting on for that sailing. So since we had that transit card on hand, uh, we were planning on to go to Dover Castle that day. The castle didn't open until ten in the morning, so we were really in no rush to get off the ship quickly. So we just hang out. Oh, actually, I, I should mention, we did have to meet at the Taj Mahal main show lounge in the morning. I can't remember exactly time, but once we were there, we didn't really have to leave the ship to the terminal to like get our new sailing sign card, actually process everything on board. So right outside the Taj Mahal, they gave us our new sailing sign card. They checked us off the back-to-back list, and then they took our picture, which they gave us for free, and then uh, also like a champagne and then we pretty much were free to roam around the, around the ship at that point. Once the embarkation started for the new, um, around like 10 a.m. or so, 10 or 11 o'clock for the new sailing, we were able to get off the ship. So we got off the ship around 10 in the morning and actually met with a good friend of mine that was getting on. I actually spotted him and his family from our balcony oh, wow. uh, before we got off. And then, uh, yeah, we just took a taxi to Dover Castle, spent about four hours there, and then we just walked back to the ship. And having those transit express cards was helpful. We just bypassed, like I said, any lines that were there. We just went straight to like the security x-ray. And then once we got through that, we had our sailing side card already on hand. So we didn't have to like talk to anyone. We just went straight on board. Nice. And so it was just that easy. Like you could leave your bags in your room unpacked and everything like that. Yes. Um, and we, well, I was lucky that because I booked early enough, I had the same cabin for both sailings. So we didn't have to like, unpack and repack and anything like that. So it was just a matter of getting to that mate, to the Taj Mahal to get our sailing sign card. We left pretty much everything in our, uh, in our cabin. We just had a backpack with us for like water and whatever, you know, water snacks, whatever for the kids. And uh, when we came back, pretty much the only thing we had to put in the security x-ray machine was that backpack and uh, back on the ship. Very cool. So when it came time to get off the cruise after 21 days and head home, um, how was the disembarkation process? So the debarkation from the ship itself was fine. Um, they did have the self-assist folks first starting, I don't know, by 5.30 in the morning or so. Then they called out by zone because we got there at 5 in the morning. Uh, the ship got there to port at 5 in the morning. But on the uh, debarkation day itself for us, which was on July 22nd, you may have saw on the news. Um, Dover was basically all over the news because it was in gridlock. There was like these massive delays pretty much like traffic chaos because the Dover Port Authority did blame like the understaffing of the French border. There was like very, very little cars getting from or actually going from Dover to France. Uh, there was also like the first weekend of the summer holiday in, in England. So you can imagine like tens of thousands of people were trying to leave England to go to France. There was this really bad car accident on the M20, which is one of the highways that get to Dover. So anyways, all of that basically 
caused like these massive delays. And so buses and taxis to get to the Dover port was taking a long time. And some taxis would just give up on, like say, sorry, we're not, we're not coming. We can't come. Thankfully for us, uh, we were not flying back that same day. And so we, I had planned on, I had booked a rental car, but again, because like we couldn't really get the rental car company to come over to pick us up. We just picked up our bags. We walked up the ship, picked up our bags from the terminal. We bypassed the long line because there was a long line for people like waiting for like the buses and taxis and stuff. And we just walked off with our luggage, walked all the way to the rental car company, which is about a mile away. And um, so that wasn't fun. But once we got there, that's it. We were pretty much, it was easy to get out of Dover. It's just getting into Dover was a nightmare. Gotcha. Um, so we just, we drove off and we went to Canterbury and uh, checked out another city close by. We checked out their beautiful cathedral there. And then we went to Leeds Castle until they closed. Gotcha. So this is a long cruise, 21 nights. Any first time tips to offer either doing one of these Norway, Iceland or Baltic itineraries, or if you're sailing Carnival Pride? So biggest tip I would say is research and plan things ahead of time as much as possible. I think for us, things went smoothly and enjoyable for us because I've, I've, I've just done my, my research and extensive research beforehand. I mean, this goes for everything really from like transportation, what to do with the ports and allowing, especially allowing yourself enough buffer time. I do actually remember for something I forgot to mention in Mold, we actually left two people in Mold, Norway. I think they were laid back coming back to the ship. So that's something you'd never want to happen. But anyway, definitely try and get there, like be there at least the day before, if not more. There was a lot of people have like luggage issues. Also flying out, you know, leave at least late, later in the afternoon, if not even the next day would be preferable. Just so that way you're like stress-free and uh, in case you have any issues again with your luggage or canceled flights or traffic or whatever. Very good. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this cruise for you and the family? So definitely the ports. Um, all these ports were just a gateway in for us to get to see and do so much. We made a ton of friends uh, on this sailing. It was really nice getting back on, back and getting back on the ship and sharing with each other. We were like one big cruise family and a lot of people were, you know, recognizing each other and they saw, you know, they, and us and so forth. Really each of the ports and the countries we visited were just, you know, unique in their own way and beautiful. We were just overall very glad that we added the Norway sailing since initially we only had the Iceland one, Iceland, British Isles one. And uh, especially that sailing in the fjords going to Olden and Skilden was special. And um, that send off uh, in Olden that I described earlier was also very, very special, something I'll never forget. I want to ask you a couple of questions about the ship itself that I forgot to ask you. As far as the casino and the smoking in and around it, how was that? Like, how did it handle the smoke? We're not casino players, and uh, so really my only time that's there was just passing from deck two on the front to after, vice versa. You could smell a little bit of the smoke, cigarette smoke, but it really wasn't that bad. Honestly, I found this, as far as like smoking or just the smell was worse up on Lido deck on deck nine starboard side, which is another smoking area. That was a lot worse. So for that, we just avoided that area and just walked on the port side on Lido. But yeah, overall, it wasn't. We, we've been on other carnival ships that were a lot worse. And you were traveling with your two children. Did they spend or like any of the time in the uh, teens club or the Camp Ocean? Yes, especially my seven-year-old. He loved that Camp Ocean. I mean, my goodness, he didn't want to leave there. And he went every chance we let him. It's just because it was so 
port intensive and we had an early start the next day, especially so we had to get tender tickets and all that, that sometimes, you know, we, we don't want to let him stay up too late for that, but uh, definitely, you know, here and there after the, in the evening, but also during sea days a lot, he'd enjoyed his time there and he made a lot of friends and he had a great time. He, like I said, he just didn't want to leave. My daughter, um, she went to Circle C a few times. She wasn't as excited about it as much as her younger brother was in Camp Ocean. Gotcha. That's fair enough. That's a teenager for you, right? <laughs> yes. Well, in closing here, your final thoughts of Carnival Pride. I love the layout of this Spirit class ship. It definitely doesn't have all the bells and whistles of like some of the newer ships, but honestly, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Some of the good things, for example, is like the elevators were super quick. The ship felt more intimate, for lack of a better word, not necessarily crowded. Um, decor was unique with like that old Renaissance theme paintings, like I mentioned earlier. Like I said before, it is a 20-year-old ship, but we still enjoyed our three weeks on her. And, uh, you know, of course, it took us to these amazing ports of call. I love it. And a very comprehensive review, too, of your 21-day cruise on Carnival Pride. What a bucket list trip, man. Glad you had a good time. Thank you so much for stopping by and sharing this review with us. And have a good one, my friend. Thanks so much, Dougie. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got for you, buddy. Cruise Radio is produced at the TripInsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. Get cruise news, ship reviews, and money-saving tips every Thursday on Cruise Radio. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show. If you want to help spread the word, give Cruise Radio a five-star review. Find Cruise Radio where you listen to your favorite podcast or online at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer.